0: and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Adam Borneman. He is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church of USA and currently serves as program director for Macedonian Ministry, which provides diverse peer learning groups for pastors in communities all across the United States and Scotland. I give you Adam Borneman. Adam, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Scott. Long time listener. Good to be on with you.
0: It's a, you're a long time, first time guest. They, they, they always say, yeah. uh, on Howard Stern. If someone's a first time caller, they always go, I know. i tried not to say it
1: that way. Just because they always say it that way on radio shows. I love that. So there you go.
0: So you you come to us through a connection with Glenn Stallsmith, a, a friend of the show and multiple repeat guests, and you mm-hmm. work, you're the program director at Macedonia Ministry, such a thoroughly biblical name for ministry. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm a Presbyterian minister, but I'm a full-time staff with Macedonia Ministry. We provide... um pastor community groups uh, peer learning programs all across the United States and Scotland and I love what we're doing so that's that's me that's what I'm doing
0: so it's part of the application if you say the name and somebody like kind of is glass-eyed glass-eyed and sort of glossed over like well you don't know the Bible well enough to be in Macedonian ministry so it's just <laughs> it's, exactly a, right. it's an implicit biblical knowledge test
1: yes that's maybe that's a very generous way of putting it
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey it should be I should be on the board maybe I'm thinking you know it's uh, yeah yeah, absolutely. Come so, down to Atlanta. We, uh, we have some interesting texts this week. I sometimes say that as if the texts are not interesting. but in Sometimes gen- they're not. It's okay. Sometimes. In gen- general, I find them pretty interesting. But our first text, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10, we have the famous prophetic, thus says the Lord. And I, I love that. I want to Sometimes you want to just say that at church meetings, thus says the Lord. So we have to do it. But uh, we have this, uh, these, this series of curses – and blessings, it kind of—it's it's interesting because it's paired with the opening of the Sermon on the Planet in Luke. So it's, it's, these kind of have an organic kind of connection. But you have these—the cursed, yeah. cursed are the ones—this It's this is a text that's classic, like, bifurcated anthropology, right? There's two kinds of people in this text. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, what's what's cool is, you know, oftentimes in the lectionary, I, I'm a little bit confused about what we're supposed to do with all the text that we have in front of us. But, you know, this is one of those rare o- occasions where I was— Pretty easily able to find some common threads through all four of these, and, and you know, you just named a couple of them. But just this idea of the, you know, the righteous and the wicked, or Jesus talks about the blessed, and then he uses the woes, and Psalm one that uh, has a lot of similar language. Jeremiah seventeen does the same thing. So, yeah, you're exactly right about that anthropology. It does kind of cut right down the middle and and tries to make some distinctions
0: yeah and it's interesting the the kind of analogies that if you're if you're like a shrub in the desert, if you are trusting in in mortal strength in your flesh in, in sort of if you're if you're if your trust is i guess we could say strictly hor- on the horizontal plane of reality then yeah you're you're in this parched place in the desert, but the people who trust in the Lord are like a tree planted by water sending out it's roots by the stream. So you have this. It's interesting because you have the shrub in the desert that almost could be there because seeds just kind of blew or something. But it seem but, but here, the one that trusts in the Lord is planted. It's, 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 there's a difference. I think a Heidegger, when he talks about like thrownness, <laughs> right? You're thrown into things. It seems like there's a mere thrownness to the shrub in the desert. And yet the one who's, the, the one who's blessed is the one who's. Who, who real? I guess it's maybe it, you realize you're planted, you know, like uh, that that you see your origins. Oh develop. yeah,
1: I like that. Yeah, kind of being awakened to uh, what you're supposed to be planted in or what you are planted in. And that was another thing for me with these texts is that um, I'm wondering if "aberril" is a word, but this uh, all these these trees, right? I mean, there's all these trees and this fruit and this growth. And um, for me, that the idea of rootedness really stuck out in all of these, and um, raising the question of. What are you rooted in? What are we rooted in together? What is this uh foundation that we're supposed to be dug into? Um, and of course, you know, the whole the whole Bible, all the scriptures have this long arc theme of of trees and plants and where they're planted and what's running beside them and living water and you know, all the way from the Garden of Eden to the to the new creation in in, the, in Revelation with these trees playing about living water. And so you know that immediately jumped out to me is oh okay this is a really common theme that Jeremiah is drawing on here these idea of, of trees and how they're planted you know Jonah even is given this shade by a false tree of Assyria so there's all these different metaphors um, of trees and you're right uh, Jeremiah just uh, throws us right into it like uh, like high digger as you as you point out
0: yeah it's funny because I didn't I didn't even think of this until you just said that about the the perennial theme but i was thinking of when jesus heals the one blind man he takes him outside of the camp and rubs the mud on and it's like a multi-process healing was kind of unusual but when he starts to see he's like i see men as Mm. trees walking
1: yeah it's like the trees clapping their hands right i mean it's the same sort of image
0: yeah and it's interesting is I guess a disciple would be in this context like one who's a walking tree yeah because the lord is a movable feet right the lord's oh, like a like movable that. river yeah. so it's you kind That's of like good. yeah tree's walking it's just an interesting kind of picture you know the, the and of course that the bible begins and ends in trees right you have yep. it's a tree it, it's the choice between trees then you have the tree of life in the holy city
1: yeah and you know throughout the whole old testament you know it's god that is um, providing shade for israel and that israel is a tree planted to uh be a witness to who yahweh is before the nations her leaves are healing the nations it shows up in the new testament again so yeah you know it's one of the it's one of those themes that you just google trees in the bible and you could just find yourself all day long um, developing a, a theology of this uh, which could you know take you out into a far away, get you, get you into abstract land pretty quickly. But I, I do think the idea of being planted and being rooted, um, is, is so key there and, and it shows up in all these texts this next week.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting too. There's that theologian, Brian Garrish, who, his great little uh his last book was like his short duug max outline in, in the beginning he talked about elemental faith and how everybody he thinks has to have some kind of faith to believe in society to practice mm-hmm. science to 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 basically function in a moral reciprocal reciprocal world and without that, you get quickly into nihilism and you just can 't kind of function and He says that that Christianity kind of builds on and changes, transforms elemental faith and gives it a different object. And that's interesting because you have here faith here. It's not like, it's not like you have people that are skeptics or not, not believing or not having faith. And Mm -hmm. then once it do it's, people that have faith in the flesh versus people that have faith in the Lord. So, so it's too, I mean, there's no sort of empirical thing that would say, well, faith in the flesh is the way to get, you know, it's not as though that that's the empiricist route. It's, it's the, in the sea of, of ambiguity of life and its fragility, right? And the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, it's George Michael, you got to have faith, right? But, but, but the faith will either be, be self-reflective. It will be, be internal or external. It will, it will, it will look into it. Itself, or look up to where where you know where our hope comes from. You know, where's my hope? Yeah, and the and the whole context of of Jeremiah seventeen here is
1: well, it's judgment on Judah, but it's also about true worship. And so I think in that case you could say that this is really about idolatry. I mean, when, when you're talking about flesh and you're talking about um, setting your mind on the things of men, things like that, um, you're you're exactly right. It, there is an elemental faith at work, and it's a matter of how is it directed and oriented, and and what is its end right? To use the more maybe philosophical language. And um, yeah, I I agree.
0: Yeah. It's interesting too. You think of the blessings and curses and you have this in the midst of our, where we're cursed, where we turn in ourselves, we have that Beautiful passage from Galatians 3, 13, right? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, right? The, the, mm-hmm. yeah. the blessed one becoming a curse for us in the midst of, of our, as we are in the desert, you know?
1: Well, and that's exactly where I think all these readings go. I mean, if you if you just take these readings in a line and go to First Corinthians 15 and talking about Jesus being raised up, I mean, it was hard for me not to think about exactly Galatians raised up on a tree. I mean, it's the same idea of where where is the true tree? Where, where is it to be? truly planted um and of course you know all these passages jeremiah included i think the way they get at that is by talking about the heart uh they are talking about the you know where is your heart and of course you know in uh in the hebrew world that's a very comprehensive notion of um of rationale and intellect and emotion and all these things it's basically saying the center of who you are where is it where is it planted um and that's such a for me a very convicting question to encounter
0: So on to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. Now, we have this argument that Paul is making if Christ, it's kind of a if it, he's saying that if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can you say there's no resurrection if there's no and there's this kind of syllogism right if there's no resurrection from the dead then Christ hasn't been raised and if Christ hasn't been raised then the whole thing is in vain and so that's interesting because here he's dealing with it, you have pro- a couple different kinds of skepticism right you have probably Jews in some contexts who believe in a resurrection of the righteous at the end of history who wouldn't have any space for a res- And then you have people in a, and in, in my guess is in the other Hellenistic kind of context that just don't have time for the idea of resurrection in general, that, that afterlife isn't a problem, but the idea that there'd be a, that, that the afterlife would be embodied and that, 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 Resurrection is it, it, not something like, you know, the, 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 this isn't a sort of uh, death of Socrates kind of thing, or, you know, it's not mm-hmm. the Platonic yeah. uh, deliverance of the soul. It's something different. So it's interesting because here it seems like he's, he's probably dealing with the latter that people are, 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 there's this maybe dual skepticism about the resurrection because of resurrection in general.
1: Yeah. And it reminds me of the fact that. You know, G- Jesus even is dealing with multiple parties of people who have different views of the resurrection. This isn't new to Paul. Um, you know, maybe Paul's mission to the Gentiles makes it even more complicated, but
0: yeah. You, you, know, right. how, you know how you remember the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection? Right. Because they're, they're sad, you see, because they have no hope.
1: <laughs> okay, that's so bad. But, all right, Somebody told me that
0: at one time, and I was like, that's so bad. It's great.
1: Hit the stop button. I, I'm done.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. It's totally terrible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh when I was um it was one Easter sermon I did years ago and and I I let off the sermon. It was First Corinthians 15. I said, "Hey, listen folks, if I wake up next week and I decide that I don't think Jesus rose from the dead, I'm not coming back on Sunday." I said, "That's that's why I'm here. That's really the only reason." I said I I love you all, but without that kind of basic knowing nothing else but Christ crucified and, and him raised, I, I can't be here. So I, I think Paul's kind of making the same um, argument here that, um, folks, what are we doing? What else do we have to stand on here? Um, and it's it's a beautiful argument. And of course, the whole um, last several chapters of 1 Corinthians are just so rich and beautiful. And, um, and void, I've enjoyed following along um, some of his readings the last few weeks. But yeah, I do. I think you're right. I think that is the crowd that he's dealing with. And um, what can I say? It'd be hard to put it better than Paul does right there.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because I think that we have this sense that that people in the ancient world were just credulous and would believe anything and you know that we're as moderns were such late modern people are so different but paul deals with skeptics of varying kinds you know here in corinth and other places and while our challenges might be different right th- mm-hmm. that that it's not as though the gospel, and with all of its particularity and all of its paradoxes, you know, divine and human, uh, the, the God, author of life who tastes death, you know, and then is raised, you know, again, not all, not all Jews at the end of history, but one strangely in the middle of history is the key <laughs> yeah. to, to the cosmos, all this stuff. It never quite fits in anywhere, you know, and, well, and, I, and, and we see that here. Yeah, especially you, Corinth um, was such a was such a
1: different place in some ways it was very um pluralistic and diverse and it was a port city all sorts of cultures and ideas colliding there um and you know you're right it is anachronistic or or just inappropriate for us to think that that world is more or less complicated than ours um you know i i think paul's letter to the corinthians is one that we should really hold to as one that speaks uh directly to to the west in in the 21st century um with all the types of things you laid out philosophically, skepticism and postmodernism and whatever else we think is bad, and that the ancient world didn't have to deal with, I, I think that's wrong. I think they did. I think it was um, just as complex and just as as beautiful as things can be today.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting too because the the resurrection is sort of the first fruits from from the dead, right? I mean, there's mm. new creation language here, and and the new creation. Like the only parallel in some ways is the original creation that God brings something from nothing, and mm. and, and, and that's what happens in the resurrection. He, Paul says several times he was, he was raised. You know, it's it's it, God raised him, and and with that raising and vindication is is the vindication of God's of God's people, and so that it it, it, it kind of just as as creation is brought to being from. Nothing. Uh, we kind of come into being in our nothingness, in our brokenness, as we're like cursed plants by the desert, like parched. Uh Amen. We're, we're we're brought into newness of life.
1: Yeah. One of the things I wrote down after going through all these readings is just that. I I was reminded of um, you know, the way that Carl Bart used to talk about you know really, the Gospel comes to us as this judgment of our religion and our false ideas and strikes really at our hearts with grace and and i I caught that sort of dialectic in these readings too. you know you have all these contrasts between the righteous and the wicked and the blessed and and the not and um, but ultimately, when you follow these passages, you end up getting to this resolved um synthesis, if you will where where grace really cuts right to the heart. Um, I, I think that's the case in all of these passages. And um, yeah, absolutely.
0: So on to our gospel reading here, we have Luke 6, verses 17 through 26. The yeah. famously called right the Sermon on the Plain, and it will sound a lot like the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a little different, and not just the the Beatitudes are different because we have the the woes with them as well. But we have it, it's interesting because here Jesus is not on a mount; he's descending. He's he kind of he he's on a plane. He's on the flat plane, and. Unlike Moses, where like in Matthew, Jesus looks like a new Moses, right? Like giving Mm -hmm. there's like five big chunks of discourse, right? And 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 just like the Torah, the five books of the Torah, and Jesus giving these, it's almost like the new law or the new the new Torah. Jesus looks like Moses. Here he doesn't look like Moses. He's he's in the middle of a great multitude of people, uh, some from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, right? Like outsider. Place and they come to him to be healed of their diseases. And there are people there who are un uncle- who would seem to be possessed, they've got unclean uncle- spirits. People are trying to touch him and heal him. And then he speaks these blessings and woes as he's sort of seemed to be he seems to be sort of swallowed up in a sea of brokenness and disease and and and, and a multitude,
1: yeah. And um. Yeah, the context here is important um, because there seems to be concentric circles of the crowds and his disciples, and then it's those who will listen. And that's one of the things that really struck me. Again, there's just there seems to be a dialectic here of, you know, there's the crowd there, but then it says Jesus turns to his disciples and he does the blesseds and the woes. Um, And then there's this interesting turn that goes to, to those who will listen. Now, one of the things about this reading this week that is really annoying to me is that it stops where it does. I really wish it would go on, and I think if you're preaching this passage, you should probably dig in a little bit further because it goes into this— um really beautiful resolution of, of Jesus talking about for those who can can hear those who can listen and he goes into to loving your enemies. So he sets up these again these contrasts and says actually I'm going to turn it on its head and we're going to talk about loving our enemies turning the other cheek and it's almost like he had these distinct groups but he levels the playing field by with this new teaching um, and all those who wanted to be healed all his disciples all the skeptics I imagine surrounding him I, I imagine are really cut right to the heart uh, with, with those sorts of ideas.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you have this, it, it, it's not, th- these are not future tense, right? They're present tense. It's not saying blessed are, are you going to be if you're poor or blessed are you mm. if, you're, if you're hungry. Blessed are you if you're poor, you're going to be blessed in the future or blessed are you hungry now because you're going to get your payday or something. It, it's very much saying you're blessed now. And, and then mm. those who are well-fed or hungry or or are sort of light of heart now are there's a woe and a curse to them now. Uh, Just, you know, just like in the, in the present tense, sort of in Jeremiah 17, it's not like, um, Hey, this is going to happen to you in the future. It's sort of, there's a current sort of blessing and curse in these states.
1: Yeah. I I don't know what to make of that. It's uh, but it's a good point um, to wrestle with when you're going through this passage, because you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's stating things as they are. And you know, it, my first reaction to that is is how much hope is in that. Um, to name where people are now and then to say, but yours is the kingdom. You will be filled. You will laugh. Um, you know, I, I'm reminded of the of the Psalms where it talks about, you know, there are tears in the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Um, that sort of idea. And yeah, it's actually more hopeful that it says that this is how you are now, not that well. If you become like this, then it will be like this, which which does turn into this you know, very moralistic kind of uh, self-righteous thing. Um, I think you make a really good point, Scott. That's good.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think, ultimately right this i think that this text is is christological right because who is poor right the son of man has no place to lay his head mm. Who who is the one who hungers right you know he like he, he's a man you know he, he he was one who fasted test was tested in the desert right who, who on the cross would be hunger hungry and thirst the one who who weeps now you know we weep. i mean he was a man of sorrows you know and mm. you think of his weeping in gethsemane and he, he was he hated and excluded and reviled and defamed right so to the it's it, it sense in which it's it's almost like a union with christ thing right when when you are these things right Jesus is not just an example right it's not like hey look i'm 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 uncovering a set of alternative values it's it's the reality of these alternative values is true because the, the one who was rich became poor. Like, th- there was mm-hmm. a reversal in, in God's own being. And so really it, it, that, that when you feel like you're rich, right? And, and, wh- and when you feel like you're rich and well-fed, what's the ultimate temptation? It's back to Jeremiah 17 to have confidence in the flesh, right? And then at that mm-hmm. point, woe to you because it's like that will, that will kill you quite literally. <laughs> but when you're, when you're poor, when you're vulnerable, when your back's against the wall, when you, it often leads to poverty of spirit, as it puts in Ma- in Matthew, and then mm. you can you're like the thief on the cross that that looks and says, "Remember me," you know, like because you're in solidarity in that state.
1: Yeah, I think the the Christological lens is is a really good point, Scott, and and I think just the being really, I think with all of these texts, you you can, I think you can rightly be pretty Christocentric because. You know, as I as I read this passage from Luke and and really all of the readings for this week, you can collapse all of this onto the body of Jesus who is then raised. You know, this judgment against Israel and Judah, um, that the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. I, I think the whole point is that Jesus is the elect one who has taken all of those things upon himself that we can share in it, so that so that it, the gospel in that way cuts right across the rich and the poor. Um, that, that we can all find this hope in in Jesus. So yeah, I, I think that christological reading here is not only good. I I think it's warranted, and I think when you read the Gospels in that way, you get a much better sense of um, of the gospel writers and what they're pointing to.
0: Yeah, it's like we it's like you, this like reversal of the world's values. It's yeah. not just ideological. It's that you're invited into it because you stand in the grace of His reversal, right? And like in His so in, in in the in in the king becoming the excluded right and in 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 the one who's the source of all joy becoming the, the weeping one like the, that it's not just an ideology it's a reality that that you can yeah. you, you can live into I, I quote this a lot on the podcast i think frank, this guy frank lake who is a christian psychiatrist mm-hmm. says you know that if, if if we think our life is our humanity is supposed, to, to, supposed to be a container with something good in it then we open the cupboard and say oh the cupboard's bare but if we let the bottom get knocked out of our humanity, it ruins it as a container, but makes it a great channel, and that's <laughs> what we're meant to be—the channel, channels of the life and energy of God Himself. Mm. And so, like the reason we can be a channel when the bottom gets knocked out of our humanity is because Jesus was the original channel, like right—that that, that his own um, re- rejection and exclusion like opens the floodgate.
1: Yeah, you know, another image that comes to mind when you say that—that um, that I think mm- most folks will recognize is the idea of, of wells and fences, right? The centered set and the bounded set. Yeah, Just yeah. the idea that, 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 that the tendency, I think, the human tendency, the flesh tendency is to try to mark this out pretty clearly, to, to try to make that fence or that boundary. And I, and I do think that one of the key pieces to understanding the gospel is that it's a deep well um, that with, with Jesus uh, right there in the center. And that really the gospel is about drawing us back to that well rather than obsessing with what size the fence looks like, who's in or out, what it, you know, um, and how well it's functioning. Um, but yeah, it's it's similar to that covered image you you share.
0: Hey, thanks for for doing this with me Adam and blessings to all of our listeners as uh, as they uh, we we pray blessings on them, not woes. <laughs> <laughs> as they preach and hear these texts this week.
1: Uh, yeah, amen. Thanks, Scott.
0: Thanks for listening to the SNAXIS Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Adam for coming on the podcast and thanks to you for listening to SNAXIS. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.